Hello and a warm welcome to The Gold Podcast. I'm Mark Koskila and I'm back with my co-host and the editor of Gold, Helena Beer. How are you, Helena? I'm very well, thank you. How are you, Mark? Yes, good, thank you. And, and good to be back in the uh, in the podcast studio this week. Indeed, good to have you back. Now today, we're going to be bringing our listeners an extra special episode to mark today's International Women's Day. Indeed we are. We're veering away from our usual format slightly to bring you not one but two fantastic interviews with women from the world of pharma. They've got such brilliant anecdotes, opinions and insights into gender equality, gender bias and workplace culture and we're really excited to share them with you. But that's not all. Helena is joined by assistant editor Isabel O'Brien to discuss some of the diversity, equity and inclusion highlights from Gold over the past few months. It's a conversation not to be missed so let's get started. I had the absolute privilege of speaking to Nikki Jones, Head of Diversity, Equity and Inclusion at the Healthcare Business Women's Association. Not only was she a delight to talk to, she shared some great insights into the intricacies of International Women's Day and the impact of bias on a personal level. Yeah, Gold has worked with the HPA on a number of occasions over the years, so it was great to have a prominent member of their team come onto the podcast and give us a greater understanding of diversity and inclusion from their perspective on this marked occasion. Nikki, hi, it's great to have you with us today on International Women's Day. Thank you so much for joining us. How are you doing? Wonderful. Thank you, Helena. It is my absolute pleasure to be with you today. That's great to hear. We're so pleased to have you with us. So without further ado, let's get started with the questions. So to set the scene a little, can you tell us what motivated you to leave your role as a financial analyst and to join the HBA in 2009, I think it was? Yes. Wow. It's been 13 years now that I've been with the Healthcare Business Women's Association. My journey with HBA actually started um, somewhat as, as, as a fluke, uh, or as you can say, really part of our networking um, opportunities that we have at HBA. I previously worked in the finance and accounting arena for um, over 15 years decided to take a break from the uh, the world of accounting and finance. I worked for companies such as Prudential and Johnson & Johnson. Got married, uh, wanted to stay home and take care of my kids, start a family. So it was upon my re-entry to the workforce that I was at the gym one day, uh, and I ran into an old boss of mine, Kathy Fitzpatrick from Johnson & Johnson. And she said, Nikki, oh my goodness, after so many years, it's been you know, I can't believe that we're meeting up in the gym, but this shows you the power of a network because it was in that reconnection that we hadn't seen one another in, I don't know, at least probably five to five years um, through moving from one state to the other. We ended up at a gym and did not realize we lived around the corner from one another. <laughs> um, and she proposed, she said, you know, I, I remember your uh, work with me back at Johnson Johnson in the finance area. And I work for an association now, a member of an association, and they're looking for a finance director. Would you be interested? It's a work from home opportunity. Now, keep in mind, this was back in 2009. So working from home at that point, particularly with an accounting and finance job, that was pretty much unheard of. Uh, but I said, okay, I'll, I'll entertain because I was looking to re-enter the workforce. And like so many other women, uh, when we take breaks from our professional lives and we focus on our families, there's always that fear 
of re-entering and, you know, am I going to have the right skills? Am I going to be able to find a position that's going to work for myself and my family? Knowing that that was a huge priority for me. So I took her up on her offer and lo and behold, I interviewed with the uh, current, the CEO at that time, Lori Cook and the treasurer of the board and voila, Nikki became the first finance director of the Healthcare Business Women's Association, and it was a fully virtual position working from home. So um, in my my transition from corporate life in the office, moving straight into working from home, it was a huge transition. But I was very grateful that at that time, uh, the HBA was ahead of the curve and was able to really provide a workplace that was flexible that allowed me to use my professional skills, but also be able to help care for my family. Um, so, and now, now moving from uh, being a financial person, I was actually able to transition about five years ago into the HR talent management space. Uh, and now uh, over a year ago, I was moved into the role of head of our diversity, equity, and inclusion um, lead to be able to ensure that our association is on the cutting edge and making sure that we have more diverse, equitable, and inclusive workplaces in the healthcare industry. Brilliant. That sounds great. It's amazing the opportunities that kind of come out of nowhere like that. Yes. It's great that something so in keeping with your like passions and requirements came up as a result of that chance encounter. It's just brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah. So moving on, um, there has been a huge amount of positive change since International Women's Day was launched. I think it was in 1975 originally. Um, and lots of the aims about championing women's equality and rights and achievements kind of remain. But as head of diversity, equity and inclusion at the HBA, what do you see as the role of International Women's Day in today's society more specifically? Yeah, it, in today's society, it's absolutely critical to be able to pause to recognize not only the historical, but the cultural, the economic, the political impact that women have had on our society. Uh, Healthcare Business Women's Association was started uh, 45 years ago this year by women who were in the C-suite looking around in the healthcare industry, and they did not see that many other women, very few women in the senior most level leaderships of the organization. So they decided to band together and create opportunities for women to come together to learn what does it mean to be an executive? What does it mean to hone your professional skill sets? And that leadership development opportunity has grown into an association that is now global. And for International Women's Day in particular, this is a time where we highlight the brilliance and the resilience of women across the globe. And we, we can't forget that. And the, the struggle and the fight for equality is ongoing. Um, you see progress, but absolutely there's still so much more work to do. So for HBA, what we're doing for International Women's Day is offering free virtual programming across the globe where you can log in and hear from women, hear from men, men as allies, which is absolutely critical in the fight for equality and equity. We need to be able to show that there is partnership in this fight 
that we all should be created equal, um, but also recognizing that there's inequities, meaning that some groups need more or, or need some adjustments to be able to truly get to a state of equality. So for HBA, this this day is all about the celebration and the um, the wonderful, wonderful aspects of full womanhood, but also looking at the intersectionality. Um, this is a term that's used with uh, Kimberly Crenshaw. She developed this term where it looks at literally all of who we are as women. Uh, it does not negate you know, our, our race, our ethnicity, our cultural background, where we live, where we come from, our, our sexuality. It's all of who we are. And those are the things that for International Women's Day, we also want to be able to focus on breaking down those barriers that really come into play and, and are used to discriminate against women from being able to advance to their fullest potential. Highlighting the brilliance and the resilience of women across the globe. That's fabulous. Such a great phrase. And it's interesting what you say about men as allies as well. It's not just about the role of women to fight for equality. It's the whole societal role as well. Um, so the 2022 campaign for International Women's Day is um, Break the Bias. And you talked a little bit there about breaking down barriers. Um, what um, can be the impact of bias in particular in your experience in, in the workplace or, or wider society? Yeah, um, and that's something that for me hits home because I, you know, I've, I've been the, the unfortunate recipient of bias in several occasions. Um, and as I mentioned before, all of who I am as a woman, as a Black woman living in the United States, as a woman of faith, all of those pieces come together as a mother, as a professional. Um, all of that is who I am. And there have been times in my career where I've not been accepted or appreciated for either one or a multitude of those different segments or identities of, of who I am. Uh, and for me, it, it, it was probably startling because for me, I, I come from a really small town in the United States, in North Carolina, rural town, uh, where we're taught to embrace and to love everyone. Um, that was my upbringing. Now, being part of the, the rural South where there was a history of um, racism and slavery, I was somehow protected from a lot of that, but I did have those experiences in school. But growing up, and once I moved to the North, was able to travel internationally, realizing that my lens was not how the world uh, always views who I am. So from a biased perspective um, in the workplace, when we show up in the workplace, we should be accepting of one another. We should be able to um, come together, bring all of our differences. And when we come together, we come together and create a beautiful mosaic. Uh, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it when it comes to diversity, equity, and inclusion. Uh, we are all different. We have different backgrounds. But when you put us together, we can create a beautiful mosaic, create beautiful outcomes and really more impactful uh, outcomes, particularly um, in the healthcare industry where we're working for the population to, to be whole, to be healed. And we can't really do that unless we really understand the populations that we're trying to serve. It can create a sense of almost unworthiness 
um, when someone does not receive you or when you know that you're being discriminated against simply because of how you look on the outside. Um, and particularly, you know, uh, or if you're coming to the table with a different language um, or a different from a different geographic place and also from a faith perspective. Um, so all of that together, it can create a beautiful, beautiful um, synergy working together. But at the same time, when it's not something that's accepted, it can create great chaos. Um, and in instances like you see around the world where there are people that are being literally pushed out because of the way that they look, um, because of the way that they speak. Um, and we see the current situation that's happening in the Ukraine now where you know, women and children are being uh, pulled away from their husbands and uh, because of the war. And, and now we're hearing instances of where people are trying to get out of the country, but they're not able to because of the way that they look. So bias in any form is wrong, but when it shows up, the impact can be catastrophic to the world. And whether we like to accept it or not, um, if one of us has been impacted, it actually impacts all of us. Yeah, definitely. Thank you for that brilliant answer. That was that was um, really good. And um, thank you for giving us that really personal story and angle on bias there as well. Some wonderful imagery from your description of creating a mosaic in society and the workplace too. Um, how would you recommend that people challenge discrimination when they see it, whether it's against themselves or against their colleagues or others around them? That question is the million dollar, million and a half dollar question, I think, <laughs> because it does come down to when you when you see something, almost as if uh, I'm in New York City now, uh, when you see something, you say something. You have to challenge it. But a lot of times, I think people hold back from challenging it because they're in sheer shock that they're actually experiencing someone being discriminated against, and particularly in the workplace uh, or in greater society, it, it comes as a shock because we're all thinking that, you know, we're a postmodern society. We all see one another. We don't see color. We don't see race. We just, we don't see male, female. We, we just, you know, we're just oblivious to that and everyone is the same, but that's not true, unfortunately. And when you do experience this or you see someone close to you, um, experiencing this, the first piece is to recognize and embrace what you're feeling in that moment um, and, and say, no, this is real. And then you can take the step to actually challenge uh, the discrimination when they see it, whether it's personally for you or it's for someone else, a family member or a colleague, particularly in the workplace, it can be challenging because you don't want to be seen as a snitch um, you don't want to be seen as someone that's creating a stir. But I think if anything, uh, on this International Women's Day, we really, if we're going to uh, act on the theme, which is break the bias, it's got to start with those of us that are at the root. When we see something, we have to say something and use our voice. Our voices are so incredibly powerful, uh, but it's choosing to use that voice and choosing to challenge those discrimination moments. Um, finding someone that is in a higher authority, particularly if it's in the workplace, go to your HR, go to someone in trusted senior leadership and be able to feel open enough um, to share what you've seen 
and, and be that person that intervenes for someone who does not feel as though they have a voice. I think that that's the most critical thing. Absolutely. That's a great takeaway. When you see something, say something. I like that a lot. Um, so this is quite a broad question, but um, how do you hope um, future workplaces will differ to the ones of today when it comes to diversity, equality and inclusion? Wow, you're right down my lane now. <laughs> um, <laughs> these are the things that I live for every day, particularly in this new role and have such a great passion for. And what we have been working on at the HBA, we have what's called the Gender Parity Collaborative, where it's a consortium of companies in the healthcare industry that have come together specifically for the goal of breaking down the systemic barriers in the workplace that are preventing the advancement of women um, in reaching their fullest potential. So in the collaborative, we, we get together uh, three times a year in particular to focus on what are the issues and then let's create some solutions. So out of that group, there has been such wonderful dialogue um, and some challenging stories because these companies come together, not just to talk about their successes, but to talk about the challenges. And then we're sharing how we can infuse and break down those barriers, particularly in the workplace that we used to see years ago where um, women were not in, in leadership positions at all. Now we've progressed to, um, we're, we're definitely better than where we were, but there's so much more work to be done. So my hope for a future workplace is that definitely they are more diverse um, because the world is now diverse. We're, we're, the world is not mo mo one monolith and there's so many aspects to who we are. So in that future workplace, I'm seeing greater diversity um, and that's race, ethnicity, gender, uh, sexual orientation, ability. That's something that we don't necessarily always talk about. Um, but ensuring that all of that representation shows up in our workplace, people are free to show up as who they are uh, and be their authentic selves. And, and companies will see the value in creating more inclusive workplaces. And that's the really the, the key here, which is companies that are focused on creating inclusive workplaces understand that when people feel seen, heard, and valued, they will be so much more engaged. They will be so much more productive. And then that creates a company that is truly, truly on the cutting edge of, of breaking down barriers and making an impact. Um, so the future of workplaces for me is, is an inclusive workplace that has leaders and team members and colleagues that have an inclusive mindset. Uh, you can have all the diversity in the world. You can have representation. But if no one truly feels as though their voice is included in the conversation, it's all going to fall apart at some point. Um, so that future is, I, I believe the future is bright. I'm an eternal optimist. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, that inclusive mindset is so important, isn't it? And yeah, you're right. There's there's so much work to be done. But with with the, the progress that you've already made um, at the HBA, it, I think it's, it's going in the right direction, isn't it? And yes, hopefully the future will be bright. I'm sure it will yes. be. Um, so if you had to choose a standout moment from your 13 year career at the HBA, what would you choose and why? 
Wow. (laughs) Difficult question. (laughs) Wow. Um, It is a, it's a very reflective question for me. Uh, One, because of my tenure at the HBA, again, understanding that when I came into the association, uh, I was a finance professional and had been for years and came in, was able to work with the association, help to build a number of the uh, cloud um, technologies that we have now to provide our financial reporting, Um, met so many wonderful people and volunteers. Um, I, I probably, for me, this standout moment was when I was able to do exactly what we share with our volunteers to do, which is to own your career. Um, realizing that I, you know, had a degree in accounting and that's what I was told, you know what, you get an accounting degree, you can work forever. Uh, and, and it was great. It was wonderful experiences, but I reached a point in my career where I did want to transition. I wanted to do something else and move more in line with my passion. So in speaking with our, uh, CEO Emeriti, Lori Cook, about my career transition. She was a wonderful mentor and able to just share wisdom and always able to point people to their what's called North Star, (laughs) if you will. Um, What is it that drives you? What is it that truly uh, makes you get up in the morning and just ready to run through brick walls? (laughs) Um, And it was at that moment that I, I really, according, there were also some transitions happening in my family life, my health, I had to really look at what was it that I wanted to do um, and what could I do? So you find that perfect spot, and this is from a career standpoint, looking at what are your passions? What are your skill sets? And then if you're with an organization or looking for an organization, what are the needs of that organization that you could potentially come together and meet? So for me, that all came together um, and, and it was a wonderful moment for me to be able to make that transition out of one um, functional area and into another where I was able to also still use that background, um, but also really move towards something that was very meaningful for me. Um, So I am forever grateful for that transition moment. And the HBA has helped me in so many ways. So that's why I love to share my story of Mm -hmm. evolution, because so many of us are maybe in particular areas in our careers, in our life, where we're at a juncture where we're not quite sure what we want to do. But uh, there's there's a moment where we all have to have almost like a, a roundtable discussion, CEO roundtable with ourselves <laughs> um, and, and really delve into, you know, what is critical for me. And because of women who have broken down barriers in the past, for women like me to have this opportunity to evaluate, you know, who I am, what I want to do, what my contributions are, know my value, and then be able to move forward. That's really, that, that for me, it was, was such a pivotal moment. Um, and that's why I stand today able to share so freely um, about the HBA and about other organizations that are in the business of empowering women, um, preparing them for leadership. And then also, holding companies accountable for allowing women to be able to reach their uh, fullest potential by breaking down those barriers. 
That's brilliant. Thanks so much for sharing that. I think it proves that when you put your mind to something, the sky's the limit. Um, Absolutely. And, yeah, definitely. Thank you so much, Nikki, for joining us and sharing your thoughts on diversity, equality and inclusion. It's been brilliant. Um, so thank you for coming on. Thank you so much, Helena. This has been wonderful. And I, I so appreciate this opportunity uh, to share about the HBA and our vision and our, our voice. So join us. <laughs> Next up, we have an interview with Alia Omer, Vice President and Head of Global Portfolio and Programme Strategy at Kite Pharma. Our assistant editor, Isabel O'Brien, caught up with Alia to discuss her experiences as a leader in the pharmaceutical industry. They discussed Alia's early forays into challenging gender bias, the importance of listening and empowerment, and her advice for other women progressing in the industry today. It's an insightful and at times personal reflection. So over to you, Isabel. Hello, Alia. Welcome to the podcast. How are you doing today? I'm doing really well, and thank you so much for the invitation, Isabel. No, it is our absolute pleasure to have you on. So our episode today is focusing on International Women's Day. So I'm really interested to find out about some of your experiences with gender biases. You describe yourself as an athlete, an engineer, a business person and team leader, four areas that are still considered to be relatively male-dominated. So can you tell me about your journey into some of these areas? You know, I found myself uh, in many scenarios, as you just mentioned, where women at the time, you know, when I was participating in these different areas, whether it was in my personal or professional life, weren't um, actually the norm. And even today in many of these areas, the, still same, the, the same still stands. One of my first um, experiences was actually as an athlete at a very young age. I got interested in basketball and it became a very uh, a passion of mine, actually, that I chose to pursue eventually playing at the collegiate level. But one of the first experiences, Isabel, to your point around, um, you know, how do you navigate these gender biases? One of the first experiences I had with gender bias was actually when I was eight or nine years old, believe it or not. And I have this vivid memory of playing, you know, in Houston, Texas, where I grew up at my elementary school, and the girls were always relegated. We had, you know, this very simple blacktop uh, basketball court, side by side, two half courts, but the girls were always relegated to the one without the net and the broken hoop. And, you know, one day I spoke to my friends and I said, hey, why don't we walk over, you know, to where the boys play and talk to them about this. So I don't know what it was within me <laughs> that led me to, to do that. But we actually went and we had a conversation uh, with, with the boys and we said, well, why don't we trade courts at, you know, a given frequency? And it was something that amazingly they were actually open to. So I think it also taught me, you know, if you don't ask, you know, you already have the no. So you might as well ask um, and see if you can talk things through. It's really interesting what you said there. Obviously, it is so important on International Women's Day to reflect on how women can lift up women. But at the same time, it's equally as important to be engaging men in this cause. And I think that's kind of what you were getting at there. That's such a great point because allyship um, is such a topic of discussion today. And I reflect back on, you know, another experience during my journey where I found myself, you know, attending my undergraduate studies at Carnegie Mellon. And my first, you know, major actually was chosen major, I should say, was biology. And one day, a friend of mine, you know, actually said, well, you know, the school is quite well recognized for engineering. Are you an engineer? 
And coming from you know a family that didn't have engineers um, in it, it was a very unfamiliar domain to me. And purely out of curiosity, I took an introduction class to material science engineering and kind of fell in love with it. And it was from that point that you know I found this area that really merged the science as well as the engineering and the kind of the math part of it that gave me you know, the start into um, engineering. So I think sometimes, you know, just allowing curiosity to lead you, um, knowing that decisions aren't forever, and you always have, going back to your point around empowerment, you have and can be empowered to take different decisions at different points if you allow yourself to have kind of a growth mindset versus a fixed mindset. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we've heard a little bit about your early experiences um, with fighting for gender equality on the basketball court. So I guess I'm just really interested about where did this come from? Who were some of your really early role models and what did they teach you? Absolutely. One of my earliest female role models and even today plays a very, very uh, large role in my life is actually my mother. Um, you know, my mother grew up in Bangalore, India, in the south of India, um, family of five, and went on to, you know, transition to the U.S., moved to a country that she had actually never visited before <laughs> after she was, um, you know, after she met my father and, and they both moved to the U.S. And even though she was, you know, working from home, she had, you know, studied, you know, undergraduate actually in the U.S., she decided when both my sister and I were, you know, kind of entering into early schooling, I would say, like at that elementary age, she decided actually to go back to school um, and train as a Montessori school teacher. And, you know, Montessori school uh, and the philosophy behind it is really centered around absorbent learning. Um, it's centered around, you know, understanding how to seek answers for yourself. It's about growing, you know, independence, but working with others and talking through problems along the way. So I think my mom has been, you know, a staunch role model. Um, she's provided unconditional support. Um, you know, I remember having failures throughout my life, whether that was on the basketball court, um, whether it was, you know, in school, whether it was in my professional life, even today. And she always reflects back on, well, what was the learning here? What was this here to teach you? And I think when you rechannel the energy into that direction, uh, then you allow yourself to grow. You know, in my role today, our team is really responsible for bringing very diverse perspectives together across the entire organization. And one of the things I talk to my team about is this notion of vertical development. So it's not just about, you know, having a glass, let's say, and trying to fill that glass with water. That's horizontal. That's learning, you know, it's filling the glass with more water, but it's the same glass and it's the same container size. What we're trying to focus on is how do you also increase the capacity of the leader? So how do you expand the size of the glass and then seek to fill it? Because in this way, you can kind of go into a conversation with a diverse set of teammates and you might hold your own worldview, but then what you do is you listen to other views that people have, you're adaptive enough and hopefully with enough humility and vulnerability to change your worldview and then synthesize that to say, okay, what is the best decision uh, for patients and for the business? I think listening really is one of those great underrated skills. I think 
far too often you have situations where people are waiting to speak rather than truly listening to what others are saying. I couldn't agree more. And we have this tendency at times, and I've observed it too, of, you know, kind of talking past one another versus really engaging um, in what is the here and now and letting go of your agenda and being on the agenda of others. You know, it's almost as I wake up in the morning, I'm not thinking about, you know, how is my team going to serve me? It's how do I serve my team? What roadblocks, what obstacles, you know, can I remove for them today or tomorrow? And you can't get to that insight if you're not willing to listen. So one of the tricks, if you will, that I try to lean on is just a simple statement. Tell me more. And then I remind myself, my inner monologue, I remind myself, my only job right now is not to say anything. (laughs) And I've had to coach myself um, in that so that it becomes more of a natural tendency. So your point around, you know, it is an underrated skill couldn't be more true. So as a leader, you're responsible for many things, including setting strategies, aiming for milestones, developing metrics. And you've said previously that one of your mottos is come with a plan and be prepared to change it. And I really like this. So can you just tell us a little bit more about what this means and also what this looks like in a workplace setting? Absolutely. I think this goes back to this idea of a growth mindset. How do you you know, plan? Success is a planned event. Um, how do you come in with a plan, but be really open to changing your position. And, you know, there have been many times in my life, um, both personally and professionally, where I thought I had a plan. And in fact, it didn't, it didn't turn out that way. Um, And, you know, a couple examples of that are when I changed from or made the switch from R&D, you know, to business decision that I never thought that I would take. And if you'll allow me, I'll share a personal example as well. When I was based in LA, uh, several years ago now, before I went to Argentina, I actually met my husband. And it was one month, believe it or not, Isabel, one month before I was set to move. Um, and I'll never forget, you know, he, we were talking and this idea of a long distance relationship came up. And so there I was, you know, taking on this new role as a general manager in South Latin America. I was, you know, seeing someone in LA. And if you're ever wondering where the halfway point between Buenos Aires and LA is, it's Panama City. Um, And lo and behold, you know, many years later, um, we find ourselves, uh, you know, married and both living now in the same city and building a home together. So, you know, I would just, you know, maybe put that in the sense of sometimes we tend to lean on our head more than our heart and gut. And I think what I've learned is that if you're willing and can trust your heart, um, and I learned this from many teams that I've had the privilege to lead as well, if you trust your heart, um, you're usually making the right decision. I really like that sentiment there. I think there's a lot of focus on having a five-year plan or a 10-year plan, but I think maybe there should be more focus on having a flexible plan that can move as you change and evolve as well. So yeah, really great point there. Coming on to now my last question and also bringing the focus back onto the core reason we're doing this episode, International Women's Day. I'm really intrigued, Alia, to find out what would be your key pieces of advice for women working in pharma today? A few things come to mind. One is 
you know, these are lessons actually I would take from my grandfather. Um, and as I, you know, reflect on who he was, um, how he led his life, you know, he came from very little means, um, again, in Bangalore, um, found, you know, a way to uh, sell cars during, you know, the British rule. And then after that kind of pivoted when the country pivoted and Bangalore really started, you know, to grow into real estate. Um, but he always led with, you know, great integrity. He was very humble. He could make friends with anyone young or old. Um, and when I was reflecting uh, on him, because I, I had to speak uh, about him actually at one of my cousin's weddings, there were really three things. It was be grounded. And what that means to me is be centered, you know, know who you are. And it's okay if you don't know that at all times, because it also evolves as you grow in your own journey, personally and professionally. Uh, be generous. So, you know, be generous with your time, be generous with your advice. Um, that can come in many, many different forms. Um, it doesn't have to be material, right? It can be just giving time um, and be grateful, um, you know, for opportunities um, that you have and the learning experiences that you have. I think what's really unique about pharma is that usually people who choose to enter pharma have a very deep linkage to uh, to its purpose, which is really at the end of the day to um, improve healthcare outcomes and to help patients. Um, the second is, you know, uh, not being afraid of, so not running away from complexity, but running towards complexity and increasingly competitive, you know, contexts um, that are more gray than black and white sometimes and being willing, you know, to navigate through that. So I would say, you know, lean on others, uh, mentorship, is extremely important. People have lived experiences before you have experienced those same ones. So why not learn from them? And then the last one that I would say is, and this was something that a mentor of mine shared with me before I took on my very first leadership role in my career is that if you ever find yourself um, feeling like it's all on you, it's all on your shoulders, you're not leading. So how do you really, um, empower the team around you and really give autonomy and give them a sense of purpose to help you achieve that mission. And again, that goes back to where we started this conversation around, you know, taking a group of people and creating something that's much greater than the sum of the parts. Um, so those are the three things, you know, I would really say is, you know, be grounded, be generous, be grateful, lean on others, um, you know, from a mentorship, you know, standpoint and be willing to change your plan. What a great note to end on. Alia, thank you so much for joining me today. It's been a pleasure to speak with you. Isabel, thank you so much. And thank you also just to the broader team for creating forums like this, where we can engage in conversations that are so important you know, to our industry uh, and beyond. So I really appreciate your time. Fantastic to hear from Alia there. Three really important values for everyone to keep in mind. Be grounded, generous and grateful. Indeed, there's lots to think about there in action, particularly being flexible and being open to new opportunities as and when they arise. Now, to finish up this special International Women's Day episode, Isabel and I sat down with a coffee to have a good chat about where we are now in terms of gender equality and what lies ahead, as well as our standout nuggets from the conversations today. Looking forward to hearing more. 
Isabel, hi. You're a well-known voice on the podcast, but this is our first time appearing on together. So nice to have the opportunity to chat, especially on International Women's Day. How are you? Hello, Helena. Yes, I am great. Thank you. Really nice to finally be on with you on the podcast. Hopefully this will be the first time and not the last time. Indeed, the first of many. Um, So we both got the chance to interview two inspiring women for this episode, Mm. but I'm keen to reflect on the current landscape for gender equality by reflecting on some of the pieces we've published in Gold recently. Yes, absolutely. So the past couple of years have really been a bit of a turning point for women in business, and there is a lot to reflect on. Women have made important gains in representation over the past few years, especially in senior leadership positions. But what we've got to remember is that the pandemic has taken its toll. Women are now significantly more burned out and increasingly more so than men. Absolutely. The disproportionate role of women in household and caregiving responsibilities, especially in the provision of childcare, became glaringly obvious. Do you have any other insights on this? Yes. So we did a roundtable at the end of last year. And in that roundtable appeared Sandra Horning, who was actually the HBA's 2020 to 2021 Woman of the Year. And she spoke a lot about this topic. Her advice really was for companies to see COVID-19 as an opportunity to reevaluate existing norms. She emphasised the importance of listening to employees and also showing ongoing flexibility. Two things actually that Alia also highlighted in our interview as really important values to consider. Yeah, it's really interesting that Nikki also discussed the importance of workplaces of the future having cultures based on these principles as well. And I think companies need to take really bold steps to address burnout by recognising and making all employees feel supported and valued. Yeah, couldn't agree more with that. And As we said, so there has been an overarching increase of women in leadership positions across all sectors, which obviously is fantastic. But we are a pharma podcast, so obviously let's focus on pharma specifically for a second. So in the last issue of Gold, I wrote a piece about diversity in all of its forms. But when I was researching this, I came across some interesting statistics and I want to pick one out for you in particular. So I think generally there's a consensus that in life sciences, the gender divide is pretty equal. But what I discovered is that actually uh, a survey by the Science Industry Partnership found that women only make up 40% of higher ranking positions. So this is manager, director or senior roles. Yeah, really interesting stat there, especially with the the kind of gender divide in wider society. There's definitely a discrepancy there. And I think the, the 40% that you mentioned, that's higher than average for Europe and the US, but um, the 40% is still below where we'd like it to be. What did the people you spoke to for the article think about the reasons behind this continuing disparity? So one of the people I quoted in the article was Lauren Dupre, and she is the Chief Human Resources Officer at Takeda. And she had a couple of ideas about the issues at play here. Um, But one of them that she did mention was language and the language that is used in certain job postings. Obviously, she works in recruitment, so this is a focus for her. But she thought that really language can be quite alienating for female candidates in some cases. Yeah, that's not something that we necessarily think about as as an issue. So, Yeah. yeah, really interesting there. What do you think would be an example of that? 
So I did a bit of reading about this and something that kept coming up was the use of the word ninja. So this term apparently became really popular in job ads about five years ago, but now it's being criticized as apparently the word ninja is considered to have overtly masculine connotations. Obviously, that's just one example, but Lauren was keen to emphasize that the language used in job ads really must be free of gender biases as it can have an impact on the range of candidates who apply for roles. That's really interesting. I love that, the use use of the word ninja. Um, so I remember that Lauren also highlighted that companies can invest in technologies that allow them to eliminate biased terms like this from listings. Um, it's great to see innovations um, springing up and hopefully we'll start to see the impact of them very soon. Yeah, absolutely. Really important things for companies to be considering and investing in, of course. If you do want to read that full article that I wrote about diversity in the pharmaceutical industry, do head over to the Gold website and you will find it there. So to finish today, Helena, let's quickly refocus the conversation on the two very inspiring women that we spoke to earlier on in the episode. I would love to know what was your key takeaway from your chat with Nikki Jones? It's kind of hard to say because there were so many really great sound bites and takeaways. But for me, it was probably Nikki's stance on the role of International Women's Day in today's society. It must always be a time for reflection and lobbying for change. And, and there's some really, really important work to be done there. Um, but it's also, I guess, a moment to celebrate how far the cause has come, as well as the many achievements of women in this industry and beyond. I think there's so much to celebrate and this should be sustained on International Women's Day and beyond. Mm, yeah, I really like that part of the interview as well, particularly the part about celebrating achievements. It's such an important thing to remember on a day like this. Absolutely. So what about you for your interview with Alia? What, what stood out the most? So like you, it is hard to pick just one. I really, really enjoyed our conversation. But I think for me, it was the story she told around when she was a child and she helped to negotiate her team to have a go with the fixed basketball hoop on the basketball court. I think it is so important for us to be challenging workplace inequalities, challenging it in the adult world. But it is also so important to empower the younger generation to speak up and challenge biases from a really early age. And I think that's the only way we're going to see really transformative change. So, yeah, that was a key highlight for me. Yeah, definitely. That story from Alia was brilliant. And you're right, empowering the younger generation is so important and as is engaging men as allies, as Nikki discussed as well. And with that, we will say happy International Women's Day to all our listeners. Thank you so much for joining us for this conversation. It's been a delight. And Isabel, thank you so much for your inputs as well. Thank you very much, Helena. And I'm afraid that's all we have time for with this week's episode. It's been great to listen in to that discussion and massive thanks to Nikki Jones and Alia Omer for joining us for this episode, as well as the Gold team for all of their hard work in putting together this International Women's Day special. Yes, it's been great to discuss and dissect gender equality in the industry today and celebrate two fantastic women in the sector. We'll be back next week with more brilliant content spanning the pharma industry. Be sure to rate, review and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts if you haven't already. Indeed. So we look forward to seeing you all next week. Bye for now.